again to the FishCast. It's been a little, a little while since we last caught up with you, but we're back. My name is Corey Long. Here with Charles Fishbine. How you doing, Fish? What up? Excellent, man. Excellent. Uh, end of the spring now. It's a... Uh, we're actually uh, taping this on a day after Memorial Day, so May 30th. So spring is pretty much over. I think all the spring games are done. Yeah, they went tonight. Uh, they went tonight. That was the last night of it, pretty much. Last night was tonight. So last night was Tuesday. And that means that that's when Charles Fishbine gets going. When the when the end of May, when the end of, when the when the beginning of June starts, that's when Charles Fishbine runs up a lot of miles on the car, starts to hit town to town, campus to campus. Where are you heading this weekend? That's the big that's the thing everybody wants to know. I don't I I mean it, I've got to figure out who's going this week and I know FAU goes next week, Florida State goes the week after. I got to find out what UCF and USF's doing. UCF used to do their camp the first weekend in June. And they that's used to just, have seven on seven that first Saturday in uh, June. That was yeah. always one of my favorites. Uh yeah. are they doing that? I'm not sure. I you know, it seems like US, USF decided uh not to do the um the uh, uh the sling and shoot anymore. I don't know. Oh, really? I didn't see it on there on their thing. You know? All right, you know what? I'm gonna look this up right now while we continue to talk. Okay. All right, so uh, they have the specialist showcase at UCF this weekend. So I figure that's kickers and punters. Um, and then they got their prospect camp on the 6th, okay. which would be uh, on Saturday, the, the first Saturday. Um, like we said, the 7-on-7 seven seven camp is on the Sunday. So maybe we go up there for that. Uh, yeah. with the, they've got 7-on-7 seven seven camps, O-line, D-line. And team sign up. So I don't know if they're going to do teams, um, individual sign up, and they have team stuff on the same day. So that weekend, uh, that seventh of you know that Monday, uh, seems like it'd be a good time to go up there. Maybe I'll catch you over there, Corey. I don't know. Yeah, very good. It's definitely a possibility. You never know. Uh, yeah, look at USF. I don't see a sling and shoot. Uh, they have a they have a camp on the fourth, which is Sunday. And they have their, quote, come to the Bay mega camp on the 8th, which is a Thursday. And they have a couple of big man camps that weekend, the 10th and the 11th. And then they've got a a postgraduate camp this Sunday as well from 4 to 5, which is uh, post-high school graduate players as well as JUCO athletes and four-year college transfers who are in the transfer portal. So they're doing a transfer portal camp. Hmm. Quite interesting there. So yeah, forty bucks. I actually might. That might be the one I go out to on Sunday. That might be. That sounds like a spot where I can go out to and kind of see if they see what they. I'm kind of curious because I know Nebraska is running like a post grad camp, and I, and I would assume by next year, 130 other schools will be having a post grad camp. So I'm kind of curious to see what you get out of these, and you know, so that that would kind of that that's kind of it's a. That's actually a really good move for a program like USF, which has, which is, you know, a lot of kids from the Tampa area went to other schools the past three, four years that might, you know, might not have a chance getting in the portal. So it's a, it's a good chance for them to see, like, if they can get some more local flavor of kids that aren't, aren't as concerned about playing in the mid-majors or FBS or whatever, just trying to get, I don't know, the feeling, get some film. Right. Um, this is about the time when we tell whatever parents are listening that these are the camps you send your kids to. You send your kids to the camps that are on the campuses that are run by the college coaches this time of year. This is what you do. Um, you know, I, I over the years, you and I have both gotten a lot of parents that'll ask me about, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna plug any companies that do this junk. Oh, you know, they try to get your kid, they'll they'll try to charge them, you know, hundreds, hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars with this idea. We're gonna get you a scholarship, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do whatever. And I I, I tell them all the same thing. Well, okay, what 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 program does this guy coach with? Well, if he doesn't coach with a program, how's he gonna get you a scholarship? Yeah. 
You know, it's just impossible. Like they come from the schools. So the one thing, and this is the great, I think the best thing about recruiting and high and being a high school football player, because I don't know these camps were available when I played high school football. I just don't think they were, but at least not in the way they are now, is that these are wonderfully cheap. Like you can, they're 25, they range in there from usually 25 to 50 bucks. And you can go anywhere. Like you can go to Alabama, you can go to Georgia, you can go to Florida, Florida State, Miami, uh, you know, Ohio State, wherever. And you can go. And I mean, even if you don't think, even if you're, you know, even if you just want to have a chance to go out there and practice in their practice facilities and run through drills, that's fine. If you're a young kid, if you're a ninth grader, you're a 10th grader, you got to get out there. It's your first chance to, you know, get to experience, you know, what college coaching is like. No, there's no question. The camps are good. They, they've been around. I mean, I've been going to these camps for a long time and um, you get better players now at most of them than you used to, because I don't think they tried back then. I think, you know, yeah. way back then it was more of a money grab. It was, you know, coaches were going to make some nice money off of it. Now it becomes a chance to get a kid on campus. There's official visits now in the summertime. So if if you don't get these kids on campus in the summertime, you're probably most likely not going to land a kid. So it's important these visits to get them on campus to see what they do in person. A lot of these kids have to perform in, for all the offers that they were given at their school. That was part of the deal. Hey, we're offering you, but you better come to our camp if you want to come in. It's basically that's how these things work. They're not really, I don't want to say they're not legitimate offers, but basically if you don't, show up you've eliminated any shot of going to that school pretty much yeah i look at them kind of like you know like the willy wonka ticket you know it's yeah. like you get a you get a you get an offer from a school and you we can list the schools that would offer like every sophomore in the state of florida that look like they could play fbs football like southern miss would just offer them like they throw out 250 offers syracuse and, doesn't do that this year i mean that was like I always joked around that I got that Syracuse offer for my son at the, in the like at seven years old. I mean, it was guaranteed that they would give you that, you know, that offer, man, that Syracuse offer. I'm like, man, every kid gets an offer. I like, if I was coming out of high school now, I know I would have got that Syracuse offer like the last three or four years, but it's all good. You know, um, you know, it, it, the, people don't realize though a lot of times that those offers really are not, you know, legit you know they are you know a, a lot of kids you go look online i put reported offers when i put my uh spreadsheets together and 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 colleges are looking at my google docs that i put reported offers because at the end of the day i'm not going to call these schools and be like hey if you offered it because they can't really talk about the kid so yeah. nobody really knows how legit those offers are unless that kid's able to commit if they're able to commit it's a legitimate offer but in most cases, it's just an offer to see if they can get you on campus, work you out, see if you see if your measurables amount up to what they have. Uh, there's been a there's a probably a good chance that one of their coaches has seen you in the spring, or maybe saw a game last year, or saw some film, and they just want to see if what if their eyes aren't deceiving them. You know, it's also. You know, it's also a great opportunity, I think, for, you know, a lot of late bloomers. And we've seen this. A lot of guys that, you know, either maybe they were injured earlier in their careers or they are transitioning from playing basketball or playing lacrosse or another sport and are getting into football. And they've got all the tools. You know, they've got the physical tools. They just are very raw. And it's a great chance, one, to get some get some workout, get some extra reps in, workout time, some additional instruction. And, you know, and two, you can, you can, you can see a lot of kids slip into some oh, offers. I, listen, I, I put out a list this week. It was called the uh, Spring Risers. Guys that basically I felt like had really good springs. And, um, you know, one of the kids is a Florida State kid. They got a uh, commitment from earlier this year, Jaden Parrish. He's from Delray Atlantic. And I think we've always discussed this. There are certain schools that you overlook the rankings, and I think Atlantic's one of those schools. You could throw out 
rankings. We've seen Preston Parker was very underrated. Omar yeah. Jacobs was very underrated. They put a lot of kids to schools at Virginia Tech for a lot of years. Um, you know, Coach Rump, Mike Rump, I don't think he was – he was probably like a low three, high four-star kid coming out. But he these guys are very underrated. Jaden is a kid that – he had 13, 14 tackles in his spring game. So here is a guy that Florida State got on. Um, he committed. And rankings didn't matter. There's uh, a lot of other kids. There was a kid I saw uh, from Bishop Barrow. Uh, he, this kid, Timothy Lawson, may be the best uh, tight end in the state this year. Here's a kid that's 6'5", 220 pounds, and you look at him, he looks like one of those kids you see from the Midwest. It's not your typical tight end. You, these guys that they can inline block, you could put them out wide, you could yeah. do so much with them. Uh, here's a kid that had basically nothing going on, and then you go to look at his offer sheet. He's blown up uh, this spring, and gotten a lot of offers i think texas a&m's offered he's got some power five offers here's a kid that's a three-star uh on some of the networks so it just shows you how important this spring is there's so many kids another kid l cal l pascal from dr crop high school they've had kids in the past usually uh by this time of their <laughs> but that's how they're usually somewhere else yeah they're usually at norland or carroll city hey listen if we're going to bring up Miami Central, Miami Central just got a major transfer in Jabari Howard, a Westland Hialeah kid. Westland was able to keep him for three years, Corey. Three years. First of all, like, I know Westland, that's going to be the first Westland Hialeah kid they've ever had that could, that could even play at Miami Central. They could even, like, be on Miami uh, Central's three deep. No, they, like, they used to be a whipping boy for every school, not Miami. Like, they didn't get to play. They weren't good enough year, to play Miami Central, all right? Every year, my annual – I used to call it my annual as as Fish. Of course, we know he films many games around the uh, Tri-County area down in South Florida. Like, Westland High League was always my annual skill checkup because they would play Port Charlotte, which is about 90 miles from where I live. They would play them in the they would play them in the final game of the season. So Fish would always ask me to go there and film the game. And I figure ain't gonna be a long game, probably gonna be a running clock somewhere pretty quickly. I the, the second time, the first time they actually the first time things were, you know, it was a blowout, but it took a while to matriculate. The second time I remember calling you, I'm saying, yeah, it's 38 to nothing with six minutes left in the first quarter. Yeah, it took like, you it took you longer to drive to Port Charlotte than the game actually landed. I, yeah, the game lasted went, about 45 lasted. minutes. They didn't even have a halftime. They basically said, listen, let's just cut out halftime. We'll go 10-minute quarters, running clock, and just get this thing over with. Oh man. Yeah, but they have a kid that uh, you know, right. that that is a you know, division one major prospect, Florida State, Alabama, Georgia. Wow. Um, the kid was committed, I think, to Georgia for a no, he's committed to Michigan State for a minute. Um, he's a big-time prospect, the Howard kid. He's going to Miami Central. I went and watched some scrimmage the other day, and if there's a better team in the country, I'd like to see him. I know they're going to go out and play Bay, you know, uh, Bishop Gorman, but this is a team that does not have a weakness. They have two transfer quarterbacks, Corey, that came in, one from Texas, one from California. They are big. They're long. They're athletic. They got players at every single position. I don't think this may be Central's easiest run to a state title. Now, Norland's going to give them a run. Yeah. Um, I don't know how Norland did against uh, Lakeland, but this is a uh, they didn't get to play it. They're going to play them in the fall, you said. I play think, them in right? the fall. Yeah. All right. So Lakeland yeah. will get a chance to see a very good Day County team, but Central's the cream of the crop again, and it's going to be very tough to beat them. Yeah. I'll, uh, yeah. It's, it, it's, it's crazy because I, We've seen so many good Miami Central teams. We've seen so many good Miami Northwestern teams. I mean, if you look at, I, I mean, I, I met you, you know, early part of the 2000s. And, um, you know, we've seen, I mean, we've seen some amazing teams down in Miami from that, from that, you know, that group of power public schools. And for you to say this is the best Central team, you know, it's just, it's like wow, you know. No, it's it's crazy. It's, I mean, listen, I I remember, and I got to, I ran into him the other day with my son as we got to meet Teddy Bridgewater, and he, it was like we had met, honestly, like fifteen years ago, twenty years ago yeah. at Miami Northwestern. He remembered me. I, you know, you never know with these kids. Like, are they going to remember you? But we leave such a 
imprint i feel like with these players coming through we never ask them for anything where we honestly do nothing but help them and they know that and and teddy was just great he he took a picture with my son but i remember going back and looking at that northwestern team and they were loaded uh from oh. teddy to um they had michael lee harris who's now the head football coach there and they've had all these receivers and all these running backs and and the team was loaded with talent right after I believe he did come after Ja'Cory. Those teams were loaded with talent. And um, what was crazy is his team struggled in the spring that year. They lost to uh, North Miami Beach in their spring game. And then in their kickoff classic, they played Long Beach Poly, who just destroyed them. And everybody's like, oh, this team's down. And by the end of the year, they were one of the best teams not only in Florida, but the country with Teddy and the, what those guys did. So yeah, they won the state championship game. I think is when he was a sophomore. Yeah. They played Seminole, who was also loaded. Yeah. And uh, take, they, I remember, I think uh, Northwestern jumped up like twenty-one nothing in that game, and then Seminole kind of, kind of chopped wood, came back, and then that you know that really one of the most amazing plays we've seen. Uh, God, who was the receiver? Uh, it was oh, they had the Ray, they had Ray, Ray, Andre DeBose and Ray Ray Armstrong, and they had yeah. DeBose uh, caught the pass over uh over you know over the kid from Northwestern, a tremendous catch. May have been Artie Burns, I'm not sure, but Artie Burns, no, it wasn't Artie. It was a kid that ended up going JUCO. I I'd have to look at one of the old magazines because Manny Navarro wrote a story on it for me. Uh, I'd have to look it up, but uh, it was just it was just it was just a, it was really one of the great plays that. We ever witnessed and really one of the terrific games to ever witness. And you know, you look at uh Ray Ray Armstrong ended up having a pretty good NFL career. Uh Teddy ended up having a pretty good NFL career. A lot of kids went to college, man. There were probably about 14, there were probably about, you know, close to 18 D1 players on that field. It was just it's a tremendous day. It really was a, a tremendous game. Uh yeah, so that's the, the big thing is, you know, is just really this is this this is the time you know you got really about a six you got a few weeks in June a few weeks in July where it's just I mean it, it is the busiest this is where coaches make their as far as I'm concerned this is where coaches make their bread I mean this is a as you know by dealing with it it's a seven day a week eighteen hour day sort of deal when you just got you're running camps or evaluating or doing private workouts or talking to kids or I mean it's 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 a lot. Oh, there's no doubt it's 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 a very important time. Like I said, that when you used to have your official visits in the fall, you didn't have official visits in the summer. Now I was talking to a coach the other day, he's like, they want to get these kids, they want to be one, even though there's unlimited um you know visits that they can take now, the official visits, they want to be one of those first three or four because they they feel once the kid stretches it out that he'll stop taking visits, that that thing's not, kids aren't going to take 20 unlimited official visits. They just don't want it. They don't have the time. So they want to be the first ones to get these kids on campus and have a shot and also want these guys to close down their recruitment. So they don't have to recruit them as hard, even though these guys are still going to be open. You want to kind of solidify at least half or two thirds of your recruiting class. So at the end, you're really just picking and choosing who you want at the end to fill out a class. And I mean, if they move that early signing day up to like Labor Day, that would really help out things tremendously instead of keeping it a couple of days before Christmas, you know, it would really help space things out with terms of your early commits, your early signs, your late signs. You get an you can you get also a good idea that kids that are committed to you early and ain't ready to sign, you know, it's a it's a lot of it, it can it can answer a lot of questions there. But it's another story for another day. Um other than that, I, I did want to get into, you know, there's a lot to talk about. We're not even gonna we're not even gonna scratch the surface from the transfer portal to to this ACC situation um that we've that you know you and I have talked about off offline a little bit here. And but there was one thing I did want to get into, and there's a couple things we're gonna do, I'm gonna hit, but I did want to get into something. Well, ESPN a few maybe about a week ago, week and a half ago, ran the uh ran a story in the 75 uh best quarterbacks in the 2000s. They had run this I think two years ago and they kind of wanted to update it and basically updated it to uh basically updated it to 
get uh, C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young in there, uh, you know. But I wanted to read off the list to you and kind of get your idea on what you think uh, and get get some reaction from you on this one. And we're not going to – well, here we go. This is – uh, it's got – and I'll just, we'll just hit the uh, the kids that were in the state of Florida if I can uh, get my – Get my dog on the thing loaded up here. Well, while it's loading, I know some of it. And uh, I'll tell you that um, we had, I know Tim Tebow was the highest ranking in-state quarterback. He was fourth. And I think he was, uh, Baker Mayfield was number one, which we can get to that. Cam Newton was number two. Tebow was four, and I can't offhand think of who was number three. Was Vince Young number three, or huh? Was Vince Young? Yeah, it might have been. Might have been Vy. I my my thing is loading up. My thing is not loading for whatever reason, so I'm not really gonna be able to. Yeah, it's 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 yeah, and uh, also on the list, Jameis Winston was 16th. Yeah, that's way too low. Yeah, I agree, especially when you look at some of the guys in the top 10 and really some of the guys in the top 15. Uh, Rex Grossman, I think, was 30th. And Kyle Trask was 48th, which I, I don't think he should be on the list at all. Uh, not that he was a bad quarterback, but his big year was a was COVID year. Like, that doesn't – like, guys didn't play COVID, you know? Yeah, like, but he also – he's just not – if you said, hey, name 50 quarterbacks, and I started writing them down on a paper, I just don't think his name would be one of the ones I'd write down. I'd probably go after – I mean, there's so many other quarterbacks that you would go after um, on the list. Uh, it just – it's there's been a lot of great quarterbacks. We talked about it. You know, Vince Young and, and, and Cam Newton were basically – those programs haven't won a championship – for a very long time before they got there. They haven't won any after they got there. They they were basically generational players and changed those programs. I mean, Vince, uh, you know, you look at what Cam Newton did. He basically put a whole program, a whole city, a whole town on his back, on his and, back. Ca yeah. and carried them uh, to a national championship on a team that was good, uh, but it wasn't a great football team. It, it was a typical Auburn team, a 9-3, and 10-2 and two type team. He – he was that two or three win difference uh, and took, they ended up upsetting Alabama. I think after Alabama had a big lead yeah, in their Alabama game. should have won. They were up, yeah. I think 21, nothing. And they were just rolling. I remember that was a, that was a, uh, that was a black Friday yeah. game. And I mean, they, Alabama must've gained 400 yards in the first half. Like they could not be, that was a team that Mark Ingram, Trent Richardson, like Julio Jones, they couldn't be stopped. And then uh, Greg McElroy gets injured. I think uh, who was their good D tackle that got drafted? The one that got drafted by like a top ten D tackle, uh, nasty kid. Uh, but he injures Greg McElroy, and they couldn't like AJ McCarron wasn't really just couldn't handle it. Just couldn't yeah. just couldn't come in and get anything. And and, and you look, they played a Pac ten team in Oregon who was good, uh, yeah. but was undersized, and a team that honestly should have won that game. And that was you know. That's how you could tell that Cam was a difference maker. You take Cam off that team, that Oregon team probably would have won by, you know, 10 to 14 points, if not more, because Chip had that team rolling at that point. But that's how much of a difference maker he was. I think Vince Young was I, – I remember getting in arguments with people that used to think Vince wasn't that good. I mean, Vince yeah. basically destroyed and ended the USC uh, dynasty that Pete Carroll had built – that yeah. was the final one. He took he took that program down. You know, USC was never the same since that loss oh. um, until this past year uh, with Lincoln Riley. But it just shows you what those players did for their programs. Uh, we talked about Tebow. I think Tebow's one of those guys, and I think a, a lot of times opposing fans probably don't like him. But the reality is, was he the best quarterback on that list? No, but he's one of the best players to ever play the game in college football so that since he played the quarterback position and we talked about this he changed the image and and what a quarterback is supposed to be like if yeah. before that if you were an athletic quarterback it's like oh they can't play in the nfl now every guy has to be able to be athletic almost first 
and be a thrower second. Like if the guy has a good arm, but has great legs, people are recruiting those kids more and more now. And I think that's the Tebow effect. I think he changed that. Before that, you had the Tommy Frazier's, the Charlie Wards. They didn't get that same recognition. I think if those guys played now, you're talking about guys that honestly would have developed more, even more as a passer. They probably would have been first or second round picks. And it would have been a different time for those guys. Tebow changed the position uh, from what he did on the field and off the field. You know, he's, you know, pretty much most of the people that have worked around him or, or been around him like the guy. Yeah. And I mean, you look at really, I mean, if we look at Tim Tebow, if he was, and he went to Nice High School, graduate. I think he was thinking he was class of 2006, maybe. Um, if he ends up being class of 1996, he's going to Nebraska. Yep. Like, he's part of that Eric Crouch sort of group that ends up there. Eric Crouch, uh, Scott Frost. I mean, really, if you look at his body and Scott Frost's body, they're very similar. Yeah, he would have been, he would have been an option quarterback. Yeah, um, he would have been a guy that would have been up for the Heisman for running for three, you know, two thousand yards with two other good running backs behind yeah. him. You know, oh my god, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, put put Tim Tebow and Tom Osborne's offenses from like nineteen ninety two to two. Shoot, he's a mother load. Oh yeah, that would be a monster. Yeah. Like, no, there's no, there's no and and the thing was at the time a lot of Florida fans not only didn't like Myers' offense. They didn't think they weren't. I mean, John Brantley was the guy they really were counting yeah. on as the guy to take over and be the next, you know, pocket passer. And Tebow changed that program and the perception of how you could play. Remember, a lot, back then, people did not think Urban Meyer's offense would work in the SEC. No. And it, it was proven wrong. And Tebow won a Heisman. He won a couple national titles. And it, the rest is history. But it just shows you just how much the games changed from when we were growing up and, and teams ran that option. You saw the Oklahomas and the Nebraskas, and then you had the other side, which was the Miamis, the Florida States that ran these wide open offenses. And the, it, it, the game changed eventually uh, with these more, you know, now you have RPO, you have, a, and those guys back then would have been able to run these offenses, honestly, even as good or better than some of the guys today. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, and of course, when you talk about Tebow and Cam Newton, we have to—they were both on the same roster for a while. And those who saw that spring game, that they'll tell you every day, boy, Cam Newton came out in that spring game and had a lot of fans thinking, "Huh, should we keep going with Tebow or should we go with this other guy?" So, hey, listen, I mean, I'm about, sure Ohio think State. About what could have been? I'm sure Ohio State fans are thinking we could have Joe Burrow or we could have had, you know. <laughs> Haskins or whoever else they had there. I mean, it's happened. I mean, you know, you yeah. had Brad Johnson who had a way better career than Casey Weldon. It's happened before in college football. I mean, oh, yeah. Tom Brady was the quarterback for uh, at Michigan and they kept going back to Drew Henson Drew because Henson, he was yeah. the thing. So coaches have made these mistakes before, but I mean, Tebow still had a great career, but you could only imagine what would Cam Newton have done at Florida. They yeah. definitely would have won another national title. Yeah, I think what happens if Cam stays, if he doesn't get get into trouble and get kicked out, I think Urban tries to push Tebow out after that 2008 season when they win. He tries to convince him to go to the draft that year, and he runs with Cam in 09 and 010. Maybe Florida three peats. Who knows? Because I mean, it, yeah, who knows? Who knows what happens? It could have been a could have been quite a dynasty. But uh, I did actually find a part of the rest of the list on Reddit, and we'll uh. We'll jump through. But like I said, Jameis was 16. The guys ahead of him right away, Sam Bradford, the number one pick, very good quarterback. Uh, Kellen Moore, I would never put Kellen Moore out of Jameis. I'm not, taking, I'm not taking Bradford or Kellen Moore or Mayfield. If you put Jameis in Lincoln Riley's offense, he'd throw for 6,000 yards. Like, I, yeah. I just – I don't think Jameis – I tell people – I, I remember going to the Maryland game against Florida State. And at that time, Florida State, their defense was kind of like in flux. They hadn't put it all together yet under Jeremy Pruitt. And Jameis played that day. And I remember walking out of the stadium and I said, that team's playing for the national title. Jameis was that good. He, yeah. I mean, you go back to even his first game against Pittsburgh. Every moment, um, other than maybe the first half of the Auburn game, I mean, they destroyed NC State that year. 
he basically destroyed these teams that year. If he was able to come out after his freshman year, he would have been the first pick in the draft and pro and, and all those issues he had the following year wouldn't have followed him. And probably he would have had an easier time making it in the NFL because all that stuff wouldn't have come crashing down. But Jameis was special. Uh, like I said, if you, you put him in any of those offenses that put up big numbers in the big 12 or whatever, you're talking a guy that's breaking records, passing records that probably are never, you know, even touched again. I mean, he was unreal. It just, it's ridiculous that people look at his off the field and really judged him and didn't put him above some of those guys. Sam Bradford's a nice player, but I mean, how good was he once he won in that bowl game? He wasn't that good. You know, I mean, yeah. I, Jameis played against Auburn and Auburn, you know, you know, did some stuff in the first half, but at the end of the game, what did Jameis do? He made, he showed on the final drive why he won a Heisman Trophy and why he was the best quarterback yeah, in the nation the that year. Two and a half quarters of that game, why he was the best quarterback in the league that year. If I had to, if I had to put him in this list where everybody is, um, I'd put him. Okay, let's see. The top ten they had was Robert Griffin the third, Marcus Mariota, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Deshaun Watson, Joe Burrow, Tebow Young. Newton Mayfield, I would probably put him. Uh, I put him. I put him somewhere. I put him ahead of Kyler Murray. Would I put him ahead of Deshaun Watson? Eh, maybe. And then you know, so it'd be sixth or seventh. Would I be think he'd be Watson one year, but I could be wrong. I don't. I know in one of the games he did. He was. And... He was. He didn't play in that game. All right, Sean McGuire. That was the game that he. Uh, that was the uh, game he got. He got in trouble for uh, jumping on the uh, table. <laughs> In a, in a in a student hall and yelling something stupid, and yeah. uh, that was the Sean. Uh, who was it? Who was it? Who was his backup? Uh, Sean McGuire. Yeah, Sean McGuire game. That was the Sean McGuire game. Yes. Yeah, that was a game that Clemson actually started like stout, and then Dabo had a Dabo Dabo's brain fart ended somewhere around the, <laughs> the middle of the first quarter when he realized, oh, what am I doing? Yeah, we're not going to win this game. Yeah, <laughs> this game with Stout. So, yeah. yeah, so that's probably where I would put Jameis. When you go down the list, uh, it's more the guys that aren't here. Uh, uh, Ken, let's see, Rex Grossman is 30th. Kyle Trask, four. Ken Dorsey gets in at 46. It looks, let me see, 30, 37th. Uh, that's good. He was 38-2 as a starter. Uh, really tremendous, tremendous quarterback at the beginning of the uh of the century. Uh, just didn't lose a lot of games. Period. He uh, listen. He, I, he gets. I think he's more underrated than anybody, just because I watched him so many times live. Uh, and he did the right things. Like, yes, he yeah. wasn't the most physically talented quarterback, but he always found the right guy. He found Jeremy Shockey in the end zone. He found. Willis McGahee on that, you know, uh, little, you know, screen pass or whatever. He always made the plays that were in front of him. And let's be honest, he would have won another national title if not just for Miami, just basically not showing up for a half in the national title game against Ohio State and, you know, a questionable call to say the least at the end of the game, or he would have won two titles. And then you have to put him higher on the list just because he's one of the only two time winners. But I really, I mean, when you look at him and I, I mean, are you telling me he couldn't have played in the Alabama offenses the last 20 years and, and just basically handed the ball off, play action, throw to a tight end down the middle of the field and won championships at Alabama. I just think he took advantage. I think he was a great leader. I think he was one of these guys that understood, Hey, I don't need to be that great. I've got great players around me. And I, it kind of that, you know, I hate to say it in that Stetson Bennett mold of, Hey, as long as I don't mess this up, we're going to win a lot of ball games. I just have to get the ball in my playmaker's hands. And that's part of being a great player is understanding you don't have to do everything. And he did that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a couple of omissions uh, that I look at uh, that didn't get on there that I thought should have got on there. Um, Quentin Flowers, man. He goes uh, – let me see. What did Quentin do? I think Quentin was 29 – and nine as a starter. Uh, but, you know, you look at the kids' numbers, uh, three-year starter at uh, at South Florida, 
he ends up uh, he ends up you know he ends up throwing for eight thousand one hundred twenty four yards, seventy one touchdowns, rushes for three thousand six hundred seventy two yards and forty one touchdowns. So he had one hundred and twelve total touchdowns, almost twelve thousand total yards in three years. And he got Willie Taggart three head coaching jobs. So yeah, he got I, Willie Taggart three head coaching jobs. Uh, you know, it was a uh, you know it was pretty pretty incredible. And I mean, he was a uh, he was like a he was like a national offensive player of the week many times during his run there. Like he was very good. Um, he, another listen, player, I thought. I mean, USF wishes he they still had him. All right. Yeah, I mean, I mean they years. would take him but, right now. Yeah. I mean, he's still a. Uh, you know, good for him. He's still a part of that, uh, part of that program and some different forms, helping out kids with mental health and things like that, doing wonderful work. Um, you know, I look at, I look at they, they thought you know, Blake Bortles would have been interesting. Uh, seventy six hundred yards passing, mostly uh twenty seven. You know, he started twenty seven games. I think he went uh twenty two and five as a starter with a. You know, and that was including a a, a win in the uh, Fiesta Bowl. Uh, threw fifty six touchdowns, rushed for fifteen. But to me, the biggest and this one, the, the one that surprised me was uh, and, and especially given how much ESPN hyped him up, was Mackenzie Milton. Yeah, like he, that was their guy. Like, and Mackenzie Milton, he ended his uh college career at UCF, winning twenty four straight games. Uh. You're looking at, I'm going to try to do the math here, about 8,700 passing yards. He had 72 passing touchdowns. Uh, I haven't, I can't even get to his rushing stats, but I can tell you they were a lot. Oh, <laughs> you know, he got, he got Scott Frost a Nebraska job. So, I mean, it's Scott Frost a Nebraska job. So, really, when you look between Quentin and uh, Quentin and McKenzie, they got about, they got two head coaches about fifty million dollars worth of salary, so <laughs> that alone means they means that uh you know maybe they should uh maybe those guys should have been considered. But fun list doesn't mean a whole lot. Uh, real quick, last thing, last yep. thing, and I know you got to go. Mm -hmm. uh, I just want to hit on a couple of recruiting things. Uh, just get a little idea. I want to kind of get to just a couple of players that each of the at least the big three schools had commit over the past month and uh just give me a quick just kind of a quick rundown of what you thought of them um florida state had you know the our you know the biggest commitment this was they didn't have any they actually didn't have any commitments i don't think in may but their last, most recent commitment was tight end landon thomas from colquitt Quant county a five-star tight end number one position in the nation uh he flipped from georgia six four 235 uh what were you what are your thoughts on thomas yeah i i really like the kid i mean talent wise you're looking at probably the most talented tight end florida state's probably signed in 20 years and that that's saying something they had a nick o'leary they've had um, some pretty good tight ends but nick wasn't physically like this kid nick was more of an h-back tight end more of just a great football player than a just a great overall prospect and didn't have any downside. Landon is a big time kid. You go watch his film. They can split him out wide. You'll see him line up as a wide receiver. He can go up and get the football. He's got great hands. We talked about it. One of the things that Mike Norvell really liked to do at Memphis was go to two and three tight ends. And you can see this last offseason bringing in two portal kids that he didn't like that tight end room. You start to bring in what they brought in this year in the portal. Now you bring in a Landon Thomas. This room goes from being very average to below average to being one of the better units in the ACC and potentially the country. Landon is an elite prospect. I think that this is the type of kid that can win you a lot of ball games. You've seen what George has done with the tight end. It's a quarterback's best friend. Landon's an elite player, and I think he can make an instant impact at Florida State. You've seen that uh tight end room it's not very impressive there's a lot of bodies but many of them are dead <laughs> yeah yeah it's i mean when you look i mean when you look at the height they've not done a good job at high school recruiting yeah, tight ends. Yeah, uh, yes ryan courtney not gonna play jerome yeah. powers probably yeah. jerome powers these are, those guys aren't gonna yeah. play they yeah. shouldn't be playing frankly. yeah and landon landon's a difference maker this is this is the type of kid that uh changes that narrative real quickly and like i said 
Norvell likes to use a tight end, and this is the type of kid you want to bring in and change that narrative real quickly. Yeah. Uh, going down to Miami, they had two commitments in May, both local kids that I'm sure you have a very great familiar familiarity with. Uh, first, we're going to start out. They had, uh, it was Vincent Shavers, linebacker, Miami Central, uh, 6'1", 200 pounds. Uh, okay. Sure, you've seen him a few times. Is he, is he, has he always been at Central? Where did he start out at? No, he started at Monsignor Pace. He, okay. Listen, most most of the kids don't start out at Central. They're yeah, on there. The kids that, go through, these, they, they, they through, got, through a process to get to Central. Listen. Yeah. They gotta play JV football before they could come play varsity. You know, like, those are the that, those are their feeder programs, and it's all right. Uh, they understand that. I think there's a mutual understanding now that hey, you could play a pace your freshman and sophomore year, but we're gonna call you up by the end of your junior year, and you're gonna come play spring football. And by your senior year, you're gonna be starting uh, linebacker, and that's just the way it is now. But Vincent's a very good player. He was one of the best players at Monsignor Pace. He's one of those guys that's going to come up. He does not mind contact. He's a physical guy. He's more of an old school type of linebacker. Kind of the guys, listen, Jonathan Vilma, when he came out of high school, was a two-star type linebacker at Coral Gables. And I'll never forget, I walked in and the head coach is like, hey, I've got this kid. His name's Jonathan Vilma Fish. He's a great linebacker. I'm like, coach, who's offered him? He's like, well, he has an offer from Harvard and he's got an offer from Miami. And I'm like, what the hell? They, he's got an offer from Miami. And then you find out, I think at that time it was Butch Davis was a coach yeah. or who, you know, and you realize they found a hidden gem. And I think Vincent's one of those guys. He's more of an old school, more traditional linebacker. You don't see as many of those anymore. I think he's a very good pickup. Is he going to be a first team also ACC? They don't need that. They just need a guy that could come in, contribute, take some snaps. He'll, he may not play that first year, redshirt his second year, and by his third year become a starter at Miami. But I think he could be a very good player. And the other player they got, and this was a commitment they got uh, late last week, uh, Dalen Russell uh, uh, from Columbus High School, uh, Mario Cristobal's old stomping ground, 6'1", 240. They, they have as a defensive line prospect. I would assume that he's, they think they can grow him into a bit of a D tackle or a nose guy. Yeah, he's about 270 now. Um, I think okay. they weighed him at like 270. He's kind of like that uh, Nile Lawrence type of player. I think he's one of those guys. We've talked about this. I don't really – I think when you're recruiting defensive linemen, offensive linemen, and where schools like Florida, Florida State, and Miami have gotten in trouble in the past, is you got to take bodies. you got to take numbers. This Is, is this kid going to be the top defensive tackle that Mario takes in this class? Nah. But if he's the fourth guy they take, they take four D tackles, and this is a fourth one, a kid that's a hard worker, that's going to put in the time. He comes from a good program. He was, if you watch the state title in the end of last year, Dalen was one of their best players. He was shooting the gaps. He was getting in the backfield. He was making plays constantly in the backfield. So they've had success with these undersized defensive tackles, maybe a nose guard type down the road. But he could be a very good player in the right scheme. They're going to run what Miami's always run, the four-man front, and he's going to be able to contribute. Is he going to be another guy? Like I said, but the one thing that Mario's done, and and I said you saw it last year, and what he does, he's doing this year. He takes guys early, knowing that yes, we're going to over out recruit these guys, but if this guy is the third or fourth guy in our class, it's not that big of a deal. He's a good player but they're not going to their fifth and sixth options late in the year. And like, you don't want this guy to be your top guy later in the year. They're getting yeah. these type of guys in the class. And now they get one or two of these D tackles in their class. They got the depth. Now they go after the five stars. They're on like three or four, five star defensive tackles. If they land two of them, this is a very good class at that position. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the Florida Gators, uh, Isaiah Williams, a wide receiver at Carrollwood Day High School in Tampa, not too far from where I live. He committed at the beginning of May. You know anything about him? Yeah, I think he's a very good player. Um, the one thing I've noticed, we talked about it with Napier, and you saw it this spring, he's done a very good job of getting maybe not the 1A players, but those guys that are the 2A players, the, 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 the next best part of that group, these guys that could come in. He's got some speed. He's a guy that could stretch the field a little bit, get behind a secondary. 
He's probably more of a slot receiver uh, for the University of Florida, but he's a very good football player. These They're not taking bad takes. And that's the one thing when you're trying to build a team and trying to get to that next level. Florida just needs to stock their roster with good players and then win games, be patient, and eventually you'll get those you know next-level players. I got a chance to watch uh, one of their commits um, a couple weeks ago. Uh, the quarterback, got a, he was at Pahokee, the Austin Simmons kid. He now transferred to Moorhaven. Uh, that's just something that's crazy. But I went and watched him, and in person, I was very impressed. I'm like, you know what? I wasn't sure about him earlier this spring. I had seen him in a seven-on-seven. But in a game, he just was very – in this spring game, and I know it was a spring game against his own team, very confident, very easygoing. He throws every pass where the pass leads the receiver up the field. The receiver didn't have to wait for the ball, had great anticipation. I've heard he may reclassify. If I'm the Gators, I'm trying to reclassify him to this year, 2023. Just get him in by fall and not even have him play his senior year of high school. They need this kid. Uh, We've already talked about it. Their quarterback room is a total mess. And unless they get a quarterback in there, five and six wins is going to seem like a great season for the Gators. A couple more kids are going to jump on. Uh, Colton Heinrich, a tight end out of Cardinal Gibbons, a school right down the street from you. He's committed to Georgia, 6'4". Looks like listed about 235. Yeah, I thought going into last year, Colton was a very underrated kid. Um, he did get hurt this spring. He was out the whole spring. Most of that, what teams looked at was that junior film. I know a lot of schools really liked him. Is he the level of tight ends that they've recruited? No, they lost the Landon Thomas kid uh, to Florida State. You got to wonder if they'll still try to get back in on him at the end of the year. Colton's a good player, but he's not to that level. He's probably a notch below of the tight ends that they've recruited. Uh, but that... <laughs> You can't blame, you know, that's something that a lot of schools can say when you had, um, what did you call them? The, uh, the Gronks of the game, yeah. you know, the, the Georgia had the two Gronks. Yeah, you had two dead black Gronk and white Gronk. <laughs> well, I'll let you say that, but they had, they had two different level players. And I don't, I don't want Gator. I mean, Georgia fans to think they're getting uh, another uh, tight end, like the guy they have now. It's just not going to happen. I mean, but there'll be a drop-off, but this kid could be very productive in their offense. Uh, final kid we're going to look at going way up in North uh, in North Florida, Bluntstown, Jordan Pride, uh, four-star safety, uh, 6'2", 180, committed to Texas A&M. And what kind of player does Jimbo have? Well, he was a kid that was committed to Florida State, but, you know, like our good friend Jeff Vote always said, follow the visits and this kid just once he committed never stepped back on campus and you kind of were just waiting for him uh, I think he got injured last year uh, he was very good his sophomore and junior year comes from you know a part of Florida that hasn't produced a ton of talent I don't think Blumstown isn't known for having great players they actually have two uh, division one power five kids this year they have a D tackle and they also have this kid uh, Jordan's a very good football player the Gators thought they were going to get him he was a guy that they were really high on. He was a player that was committed to Florida State for a long time. Jimbo's done a very good job of evaluating these kids in Florida. You know how it is. He finds these guys as well. I think the kid could be a very productive player. There's going to be an adjustment period. He's playing in Bluntstown, and you're going from Bluntstown to playing at uh, Texas A&M in the SEC. So there'll be a growth, spur, you know, growth period for him. He's probably a guy that the speed and the game – and then, you know, the football knowledge that he's going to have to learn to play in their scheme, that it's going to probably take them at least a year, year and a half for him to get more comfortable. You hope with a kid like this that he is patient, understands that, hey, listen, I, I didn't play that first year. Let me just jump in the portal and I'll go back home. You don't want to ha- see a situation like that because this isn't a kid that's going to go to Bluntstown and then end up starting in the SEC year one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, my friend, I've taken up enough of your time tonight for the Fish Cast, and I always appreciate, uh, we all appreciate all the great insight that you bring. Uh, once again, uh, we'll have to, you've got a busy schedule coming up. I mean, what the schedule, it usually goes to about what, June 15th? It's, it's about June 5th. It's about a two-week run where it's just going to be very hectic. You're going to have 
a lot of these satellite camps where schools come down here. I know FAU has a big one next week. I'm sure FIU is going to have theirs. Florida State's going to have theirs uh, on the 10th or 11th. They're going to have um, their elite camp, and then they have their mega camp uh, where they'll have 3,000 kids running around in Tallahassee in the middle of the summer. You know how that is. Hopefully, you got to ho- keep the fingers crossed that it's not 120 out there when you do the three sessions because you know how that thing is. Oh, there, there in Orlando, it could get a little hot in the summertime. No breeze. <laughs> That's why you got to come with me so we could go do this thing again. All right, all right. I'll see. You know, I'll see what I can do. I'll see what I can pull off this year. All right, man. Come on. Well, as always, um, let's see our thank yous. Of course, thank you to our group down at uh, AE Engine for our distribution. Thank you to Justin Otto, our uh, producer, who did say one day he would gladly come on and discuss the uh, discuss his love of Grand Theft Auto with us, uh, which you know I'm, I'm all for. Uh, and uh, and just thanks everybody else for listening, for all the comments, all the questions, and you know make sure you know if you subscribe, subscribe to us a five star rating. That would be very much appreciated. So once again, anything else? Any final words, Mr. Nah, I'm working on. I I, I know we're going to get the Oklahoma head coach on. I've talked to one of their assistant coaches, so we're going to get someone like uh, Brent Venables on. Hopefully, get some other coaches on that we know. Um, and uh, I look forward to. Uh, exciting summer uh, hopefully this summer though once there's we could get a couple weeks off and a break and enjoy before the, you know it gets back into the you know rat race that becomes uh, you know fall football and, and all that so um, I'm excited and, and I'm I'm glad to get back on here with you it's been a while I thought we uh, jumped yeah. right it's like riding a bike man we got right back on the bike and didn't crash it didn't crash it this time exactly yeah. August will be here before you know it, buddy. So, yeah. talk real soon. Uh, everybody out there in podcast land, take care and uh, thank you for listening to Fishcast. Fishcast.